Hello everyone and welcome to the Employment Law Podcast, a weekly podcast brought to you by the lawyers at EI Legal. My name is Simon Ovi, I'm the Principal Lawyer at EI Legal and I'm here today with Ahana Lakia and Antonia Randalls who are both lawyers in uh, the team. We're talking today about general protections um, in the Fair Work Act. Um, Sometimes we talk about uh, news and events in, in the week that have gone before, and sometimes we just talk about a legal topic. Last week we talked about unfair dismissal, and general protections really sort of um, follows on quite neatly from that. Um, it, is, it is a broad topic, so what we're going to do is um, make this a, uh, a two-part thriller, if you will. Um, so we'll, 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 break, we'll break down the general protections into, into two episodes. Um, just by way of a, a, a really um, quick in, introduction, um, you, you may have come across general protections before and most people kind of use the term general protections and adverse action um, synonymously and, and, and think they, they mean the same, same thing and, and, and cover the same areas. But general protections is, is really quite a broad area in the Fair Work Act. And there are protections for, for many things. Um, you know, uh, there's a, a, an obligation not to make misrepresentations about employees' rights. There's an obligation not to involve in sham contracting. Um, there's um, various obligations which fall under the general protections umbrella, and we'll try and cover them all um, over the, uh, this podcast and the next one. But how general protections tends to come up um, most frequently, and what you'll probably be most familiar with, is the, um, the general protection um, which is concerned with adverse action. And there's this um, uh, a couple of provisions in the Fair Work Act which say, in essence, it's unlawful for um, someone to take uh, adverse action against uh, another person um, for a prohibited reason. And that, that prohibited reason can either be because um, uh, of a discriminatory reason um, or because um, or connected with workplace rights. And we're going to talk about the workplace right um, general protection um, today. That's for protection under Section 340 of, of the Fair Work Act. And then um, next week, we'll talk about um, the general protection relating to discrimination, um, uh, as well as, as, as some of the other general protections under the Fair Work Act. So um, without, uh, without further ado, let's, let's jump into the um, protection at, at 340. Um, and uh, aha, uh, sorry, Antonia is going to start things off by talking about um, who 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 are protected by by general protections generally? Thanks, Simon. So last week we spoke about the specific class or group of people that are protected by the unfair dismissal regime contained in the Fair Work Act. But unlike unfair dismissal, 
The group of people who are protected by the general protections provisions of the Act is much broader. So these provisions don't just protect employees, they include protection for prospective employees, uh, independent contractors, including prospective independent contractors. They protect people who engage or propose to engage independent contractors, who often uh, we refer to as principals. They protect employers and prospective employers, and also industrial associations, which also includes officers or members of that association. So as you can see, it's much, much broader um, than the group that we spoke about last week with respects to unfair dismissal. And, and unlike unfair dismissal, these people are protected regardless of things like uh, their length of service or how much money they earn or whether or not they're covered by a modern award or enterprise agreement. And also something that sort of broadens this group even further uh, in comparison to unfair dismissal, as you may recall last week, we mentioned that the term employee and employer when mentioned with respects to unfair dismissal were defined with reference to the concept of national system employer or employee. Where general protections are concerned, the term employee and employer have their ordinary meaning, which, it, which broadens that group uh, even further. So, there, but there is a group of workers who aren't protected and, and that is volunteers, or at least those volunteers who are correctly classified as volunteers. So this is because the Fair Work Commission considers volunteerism as an arrangement that is, I guess, generally motivated out of the goodness of people's hearts. And, and therefore, the agreement between the parties is usually considered more moral in nature as opposed to legal in nature. Um, so that is why they're excluded. So. Uh, as I mentioned, the, the group of uh, individuals that are protected under these provisions is, is quite broad. Um, and I think, Ahana, you're going to talk a little bit more about the specific protections. Um, was there anything else you guys wanted to mention about who's covered? I guess um, the thing that it, it brings to mind, particularly from an employer's point of view, is, is because it it applies to um, you know pretty much everyone, um, save for the exceptions you you mentioned, and, and it applies from day one of employment. There's no you know no need to be uh, have a have a period of service before someone gets that right. Is is that an employer needs to be aware of of this thing, these obligations all the time, you know, in its arrangements for um, you know, recruitment, you know, even before you begin um, an employment relationship um, and, and right from the day one of, of employment, the, the risk of a, of a claim is, is, is always there. And you sometimes come across um, businesses or, or employers who, who, who think that um, because someone has only been there for a, a couple of weeks, say that that they um, have kind of you know carte blanche to maybe terminate employment for for whatever reason they want and, and think that um, you know that there will be no um, 
legal ramifications in respect of that. But I, th I think as, as you um, explained, Antonio, because it applies to, to this broad range of people and to, to every employee, regardless of length of service, regardless of position and, and earnings, et cetera, employers do need to be aware, aware of, of the actions they take in respect of employees, even when, when those people haven't been around for very long. Um, you know, they, they do need to follow um, the law um, because the, the consequences, if, if they don't, are that a general protections claim um, can arise. That, that was the only um, point I was going to um, raise in addition. Thanks, Simon. Um, well, look, I might talk a bit about, I guess, what adverse action is. So as you mentioned before, um, what we're talking about today is the protection under Section 340 of the Fair Work Act, which essentially states that an employer, um, well, not an employer, but a person must not take adverse action against another person uh, because they exercise a workplace right. So what is adverse action? I guess that's a key consideration. And as Antonia mentioned before, adverse action is not just limited to employer and employee. It can be also taken um, against an independent contractor by the principal or by prospective employers against prospective employees. But the, for the purposes of today, I'll just discuss um, some of the common types of adverse action that we come across. And it's usually adverse action taken by an employer against an employee. So the most common one is obviously dismissal of the employee. Um, and dismissing the employee can also include constructive dismissal. So where the employee has been forced to resign, that can also constitute adverse action. Another um, type of adverse action defined under Section 342 of the Act is where the employer injures the employee in his or her employment. And this can include instances um, where the employer is depriving the employee of their rights under a contract, um, where they're treating them unfairly or substantially differently to other employees. Um, say, for example, they transfer them to a different work site or they stand them down um, or they, you know, don't allow them to take annual leave. All those are examples of an employer injuring the employee in their employment. And the final one, is where the employer um, alters the position of the employee to the employee's um, prejudice. And this happens in circumstances where the employer places the employee in a worse situation. So say, for example, they issue them with a form of written warning, um, they change their rostered hours, they reduce their status and level of responsibility, so a demotion, um, any sort of other disciplinary action that they may take against the employee, all of those things um, amount to adverse action um, in that the employer is sort of altering the employee's position to their prejudice. Something else that also is included in the definition of adverse action is the employer discriminating between the employee and other employees that the employee engages. So discrimination is also a form of adverse action, but obviously we'll talk about that a bit more in next week, part two of our podcast. So there's all types of adverse action, like I've discussed, but the most common type that we see usually is where an employee has been dismissed. Something that's pretty important to note is that it's not just 
actually taking the adverse action. The Fair Work Act also states that the employer must not threaten to take adverse action. So it can include um, a threat to take an action or organising such an action. So it's not necessarily, so just using an example, um, doesn't necessarily have to be the case that the employer actually dismisses the employee. The employer can also constantly threaten the employee that they're going to terminate their employment and that can still constitute adverse action because it's a threat to take adverse action. Um, anything else you guys can think of in terms of examples of adverse action? No, they're both nodding their heads at me. Well, I might pass it on to you then, Simon, just to maybe discuss a bit more what the protection is under Section 340. Yeah, thanks, Johanna. So, yeah, so lo looking at the, um, the, the different um, requirements um, under 340, as, as Ahana has just said, the first is that um, a person must not take adverse action against another person. The, the second requirement is that adverse action um, can't be taken because the other person has a workplace right um, or has or has not exercised a workplace right or proposes or proposes not to exercise a, a workplace right or to prevent um, the exercise of a workplace right. So it, it usually um, arises in a situation where someone has, has exercised a workplace right and an adverse action is taken um, against them for that reason. But it, it can be, you know, to prevent them exercising the workplace right or... or or for other reasons connected with that. So what is a um, workplace right? Um, well, the, the definition of that is, is quite um, broad, um, but uh, it, in essence, um, it, it is an, a number of things. What, one of them is um, where someone is entitled to the benefit, benefit of or has a role or responsibility under a workplace law and a workplace law is in turn um, defined to um, cover um, a wide variety of, of, of legislation including um, the Fair Work Act, modern awards, work health and safety legislation etc. So it, it's very clear that a workplace right includes things like um, taking um, personal and carer's leave, taking annual leave, um, taking any form of leave, um, don't know what other common examples are, um, making a workers' compensation claim, um, making, um, uh, you know, any, any kind of uh, action under uh, uh, work health and safety law. Um, uh -huh. um, I'm gonna jump to add to that, where an employee makes a request for flexible working. Um, yep. Yeah. But yeah, flexible working, taking parental leave, any any of any of those sorts of things. Um, so that those are all um, uh, workplace rights under workplace laws. So if an employee um, has has availed themselves of of any of those um, types of things, um, the um, Fair Work Act prohibits adverse action being taken because of that. In other words. For example, dismissing someone because they've taken too much um, sick leave or, um, you know, passing up someone for a promotion because um, they have uh, been on parental leave, that kind of stuff. 
Uh, and that, that, you know, is, is relatively easy to um, understand, I guess. The other um, uh, category of workplace rights is where um, someone is um, able to initiate or participate in uh, a process or proceedings under a workplace law. So that um, would be something like, you know, if someone has made um, an unfair dismissal claim or, or, or something like that, or um, has applied to um, terminate an enterprise agreement or any kind of process or procedure that is protected under the Fair Work Act or, or other workplace legislation. They can't be victimized, they can't um, be um, dismissed or, or, or you know, persecuted or whatever um, because of, of their um, involvement in those proceedings. And the last um, category, which is, is um, one that comes up quite frequently, but again, is, isn't that easy to understand, I guess, is a workplace right also um, covers um, an employee's uh, right to make a complaint or inquiry about their employment. So it, it's unlawful to take adverse action against someone because they have complained about um, you know, their pay or they've made an inquiry into where their pay slip is or, or any, anything like that, you know, a bullying complaint, a grievance, and anything like that that it is unlawful for um, the employee to be dismissed or um, for some other adverse action to be taken against them. That, that is also um, a workplace right. Um, anything, anything more on that, guys? Yeah, I think what I guess is important with, with that last one you said, it's not just a complaint, but it's a complaint or an inquiry. So even if just some examples of an inquiry, someone could just inquire about, for example, a bonus structure, they could ask the employer whether they have a bonus scheme uh, that will constitute them exercising a workplace, right? Because they've made an inquiry about a bonus structure. So it's not the case that they're necessarily complaining about things, which it's definitely included, but it's also where they're making inquiries about things in the workplace. Um, but maybe I thought maybe I'd sort of, say some common examples of workplace rights that I've seen and some of the things that come up um, in the claims that we've sort of seen. We've seen inquiries about a pay rise. Um, the most common is complaint about another employee's conduct um, or complaining about like someone's supervisor or manager. Um, also something that comes up quite often is a complaint about sort of not receiving entitlements under an applicable modern award. Uh, complaints about health and safety risks within the business. But I guess what's clear is it's quite broad, um, but it has to be, of course, in relation to their employment. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ohana. And I, I think that's a, re a really good point, um, that, it, that it needs to be in relation to their employment. And there's been a number of cases where employees have made complaints to their employer um, but it has been held that those those complaints weren't in regards to the employee's employment. So, for example, there was a case where um, uh, the employee was um, disagreeing and complaining about the company's strategic direction. Um, you know, those kinds of 
decisions about the management of, of the company, the direction it's being taken, taken with, uh, taken in, that those sorts of things aren't um, in respect of an employee's employment per se. And so that won't be enough to um, uh, enlighten the, uh, the, the general protections and protection. Um, okay, so um, Ahana, do you want to go on to the, um, the, ne the next point? Yeah, thanks, Simon. I guess what I also wanted to mention is there's a key term um, which is quite important, and that, that word is the word because. Um, as we've mentioned a few times, um, an employer, well, not an employer, I keep saying employer, but a person, because it covers a lot of people, um, a person cannot take adverse action against another person because they've exercised some type of workplace, right? And the use of the word because in these provisions is quite important because that's the central question in a general protections dispute. Um, the question is, why was the adverse action taken? Was it taken because of the workplace right or was it taken because of another reason? And that is a question of fact, which is usually answered in light of sort of all the facts that are established. Um, it involves consideration of the reasons that the, per the person who made the decision um, to dismiss or whatever adverse action they took, their evidence will be taken into consideration when determining why the adverse action was taken and whether it was taken because the person exercised a workplace right. So just using two examples, um, say if an employee is dismissed because they have made a complaint regarding their pay, then technically that's um, in breach of section 340 of the Fair Work Act. But say for example, the employee has made a complaint about their pay, but at the same time, they're also being performance managed and the employer then dismisses them because of poor performance, then the employer's evidence about um, why they took the adverse action will be quite important because they'll have to show, well, we dismissed um, the employee because of the poor performance, not because of um, the workplace, right? So that's a key consideration, um, which I guess takes me to my next point is, that there's quite a unique aspect in general protection claims um, in that it imposes what's called a reverse onus of proof, um, which essentially means that if an employee files general protections um, claim and they can prove that they made a workplace complaint and that adverse action was taken, then it is assumed that the reason that the adverse action was taken was because of the prohibited reason. So because the employee exercised a workplace right. Um, so it will be on the employer to prove that it was not because they didn't take the adverse action because the employee exercised a workplace right, but it, it was because of some other valid reason. And this is different to, for example, an unfair dismissal claim where employees have to sort of prove their case. Um, in general protections applications, ultimately, say for example, if it goes through a hearing, the court, like I mentioned before, um, will need to consider the decision maker's reason for taking the adverse action and analyze all the facts. So the employer will have to produce sort of compelling evidence to show that the workplace right wasn't the reason for termination, but it was another reason. 
whether that's performance or misconduct or whatever it is, it wasn't the prohibited um, reason. So this is one of the reasons why it's extremely important for employers to have well-documented reasons for termination, um, not just because an employee might bring an unfair dismissal claim, but if they bring a general protections claim, the onus is gonna fall on the employer um, to prove that they took adverse action, not because of the workplace right, but because of another reason. Um, the other, I think, thing I wanted to point out is where there's multiple reasons for dismissal, um, the court will look at whether the prohibited reason, that is the workplace right, was one of the reasons. So it doesn't have to be the sole or dominant reason. It, can't, it just has to be a substantial reason for taking the adverse action. Anything else you want to add to that, Simon? Um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, um, I, I think you've, you've, you've captured everything. Um, and it's, it is, yeah, it's, it's, it's very different and, and quite strange that once an employee has made a, a, a claim that this, this, and has shown that adverse action has been taken, that this, it falls on the employer to, to prove that that's not the case. It's quite bizarre in, in a lot of ways. Um, compared to sort of most cases where it, it's always on the um, the applicant to prove their case. It's it's a kind of odd um, odd uh, quirk of, of this law, which I think surprises um, people. And I think the other thing which catches people out is, as you say, um, to, to be successful in a general protections claim, the Fair Work Commission or the court only has to be satisfied that part of the reason taken for the adverse action was unlawful. Um, and, you know, sometimes when we take instructions from employers and, and we're talking about a dismissal where there's been an allegation of, say, um, this being taken because of someone exercising a workplace right to, for example, take sick leave, you know, sometimes you, you get the response. Um, no, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just for that reason. You know, the main reason was like a performance or misconduct issue, but it, it, it was a, a small part of that reasoning. And, and that, that would be enough for um, a general protections claim to be successful. So I think it's, it's very important, as you say, um, uh, for employers to be able to dem demonstrate what what the reasons they took um, decisions for. So um, I guess it, it cuts both ways in, in the sense that um, because the, the the court will be focused so much on what was the reason the decision maker took that decision, so long as um, the employer or you know who, who, whoever is making that decision can give credible evidence that that is going to be believed that that you know they they were genuine genuinely taking that um decision for a, a lawful reason um as as long as there's no reason for a court to disbelieve them they should be able to um uh, sort of uh, prove their case, but that's why kind of credibility is is so important. And um, you know, if there is anything in the proceedings which makes uh, the court consider that the person giving evidence is isn't an honest person, that's where they can fall down because you know they can put their hand on their heart and say, 
um, you know, uh, none of none of my reasoning was connected with um, a workplace right. But if there's something else in the build-up to the case, which means that the court is going to be um, suspicious of their testimony, then things can fall apart there. So, yeah, I think it's really important for employers to document their decision making if you have concerns about an employee's performance say or 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 something like that do do document um uh your conversations about that even if it's only an internal conversation and i find what what happens quite frequently is employers will be in a situation where they have a, an employee um that you know things aren't working out um, there are some performance issues, say, um, and they're, they're coming to a point where they're thinking, look, look, we really need to move this person on. In the interim, before they get the chance to do that, the employee goes on sick leave, for example. The employer is then faced with a difficult decision because they want to um, dismiss the employee when the employee comes back from sick leave. That looks, you know, to the outside world as though the fact that they took sick leave um, is, is, um, is connected with that. Um, so uh, absent any kind of prior records of, of the performance issues being discussed um, internally or with the employee themselves, it's going to be very difficult to um, rebut that presumption. So I think you're absolutely right that um, it's really important to um, take uh, you know, detailed notes of, of, of everything like that. Um, yeah, I think, I think that was um, all I was going to add to um, that. Um, should, should we finish off then by um, having a bit of a um, chat around um, how a general protection claim is, is brought and, and the differences with um, an unfair dismissal claim? Um, because I think that's that's something that that comes up quite um, quite often. I suppose the the first observation to make is when when um, an employee has been dismissed, they can only bring either a general protections claim or an unfair dismissal claim. They can't bring both, so they have to plump with one or one or the other. Um, Sometimes there there won't be um, really much of a choice to to make because they won't be eligible to bring an unfair dismissal claim either because they don't have the um, requisite length of service or they earn over the over the high income threshold or, or whatever. So sometimes that there won't be that choice, but oftentimes there will be the possibility of bringing one claim or the other. the The process for bringing the claims is identical. They both need to be made within 21 days of, of a dismissal. Um, and, and it's an application to the Fair Work Commission, which is dealt with initially by a, a conciliation aimed at, aimed at settling the case. Um, one of the big differences between the two is, as we discussed last week, unfair dismissal damages are capped at six months pay or, or half of the high income threshold whereas general protections claims are um, uncapped in, in, um, in the damages that can be awarded. Um, the other thing which um, 
is probably worth mentioning is unfair dismissal claims are are obviously about the kind of fairness of, of a dismissal, the, the process that was followed leading up to a dismissal, and whether someone was given a procedurally fair um, uh, process before they were dismissed. Adverse action um, or general protections claims don't um, look at that at all. Someone can be dismissed without any prior written warnings, without any kind of disciplinary meetings without any of that kind of procedural fair, fair, fairness stuff. And the court won't be um, focused on that at all. All they, are, all they are focused on is whether adverse action was taken because um, of a workplace right or, or um, because of um, discrimination. Um, and, uh, and so um, I think that that kind of um, shocks people sometimes. Yeah, that's true, Simon. And I guess one of the other main differences as well is I was talking earlier about um, the types of adverse action. Um, there's also two types of general protections application that can be filed. So one is involving dismissal when the employee has been dismissed and similar to an unfair dismissal. Um, claim it must be filed within 21 days of the dismissal taking effect. However, there's also a general protections application not involving dismissal, um, where the usually where the employee still remains employed, and that can be brought at any time. There's no time limit, and it usually involves um, cases where adverse action has been taken in relation to, for example, injuring the employee in their employment or you know. Um, altering their position where they've been demoted, but there's no dismissal. So there's two types of um, general protections applications. The other main difference is if they don't settle, both of those go to a conciliation, um, but if they don't settle, and, and usually they're actually called conferences, they're not referred to as conciliations anymore, um, just to, I guess, differentiate between an unfair dismissal and um, a general protections, but it's the same process. If they don't settle at that conference stage, um, the employee then has um, an option to file an application in the Federal Circuit Court. So it doesn't necessarily stay within the Fair Work Commission unless they agree to sort of arbitration. Most of the times it goes to the court. And I guess the reason for that, like you said, Simon, is because the damages that can be awarded, they aren't capped. And so that's something that the court usually awards. And the other thing that a court can award is sort of damages for stress and hurt. Um, so say, for example, the employees have suffered sort of anxiety as a, um, as a result of the adverse action that has been taken. The court can award damages in that respect. And the other main sort of point is that general protections provisions, if an employer breaches them, they're actually a civil remedy provision, which means that penalties apply for breaching that section. So the court can also impose penalties um, of up to $63,000 for a company or up to 12,800 for any sort of individual who's involved in the contraventions. So it's, it's a lot of differences with unfair dismissal um, because there's uncapped damages, damages for stress and hurt and anxiety and also penalties that can apply, which is why it usually goes through to the court process. Yeah, thanks, Sahana. Um, so, anything else we, we want to um, 
um, mention before we wrap things up? No, okay. Well, I, I hope that's been um, useful um, to to everyone listening. It, it is, um, yeah, one of one of the most kind of complex um, areas of the Fair Work Act, I, I have to say. Um, and um, yeah, if you are if you are faced with um, a general protections claim, I do think it is worth um, getting some advice. Unfair dismissal claims are, are kind of, the concepts at work there, I think are, are a lot more straightforward. Is there, you know, it, it, is there a fair reason, reason for dismissing someone? Have they been, you know, given a procedurally fair process before that dismissal takes, takes effect? General protections is, is a lot more um, complex, but the, um, the concepts at, at play. Um, so yeah, I do think it is is something which employers would be well advised to kind of get some professional help with. And equally, you know, if you're an employee facing a situation where you don't know what kind of claim to bring, um, it, it is also worth kind of spending some time making sure you bring the right one. Um, so uh, I think we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for your um, um, for joining us once again. Next week, we will continue with our general protections journey and talk about um, the protection from adverse action being taken on discriminatory grounds. And we'll, we'll also um, uh, wrap up all the other general protections that exist in the Fair Work Act. So um, thank you, everyone. Um, it's uh, uh, goodbye from me. and. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Soon. Thanks, Simon and Antonia. And look, if you do have any questions, feel free to reach out to us um, at info at eilegal.com.au. We have a range of resources on our website, um, which you can have a look at as well. And also just to mention everything that I guess has been discussed today is just general in nature. So um, it's not intended to be sort of legal advice, but if you do want legal advice, please feel free to reach out. We'd be delighted to assist you. And thanks again for tuning in and we'll, I guess, podcast next week. Thanks, everyone.